Hey, everybody. This is Karen Stefano, author of the collection, The Secret Games of Words. And with me tonight, live from Canada, is Ken Murray, the author of the novel Eulogy. How's it going, Ken? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. I imagine I'm, I, I'm, I've got a different scene outside my window than you have in San Diego right now, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, just just a bit. So um, you're you're my first Canadian on this well, you on know. this webcast. Pretty there's a few pretty of exciting us books up here. Yeah, <laughs> just one or one or two I've I've heard. So, yeah, but yeah. I'm really really yeah, I'm really excited to um to to talk to you about your your debut novel. Congratulations! It's a it's an awesome book. Thank you, thank you. It was, uh, it, was, uh, it was a hard book to write, but I was really happy with the way it turned out. So uh, yeah, yeah, good to see it getting out yeah, of the life. Yeah, you should be you should be incredibly proud. And um, to to get us uh, kicked off here, um, I thought it would be great if you could read for for everyone listening um, an, an excerpt from from Eulogy. All right. Well. Uh... I'll start right at the beginning. Here we go with uh, chapter one, page one. Toronto, December, 2000. I visited my parents a few weeks before Christmas. Mom had left many messages. William, where are you? William, are you okay? William, do you need any more slender nation? I'd been ignoring her calls for months. Terry had become a big part of my life, and I was happy. For the first time, I didn't want to be alone. I had my work at the Royal Ontario Museum, and she had hers in one of the bank towers downtown, and we had each other, and we had our music, and we fell into that inner space that people find when they love someone. Terry burned brightly in my world, and the rest of the world faded. Work was still good, but I fell out of touch with home, and for good reason. I didn't want to tell my parents about her because I didn't want to deal with their questions. I stopped calling, stopped visiting. But dealing with it became inevitable. I had to tell my parents that I had a girlfriend, and even though I was a grown man with an established career, it was terrifying. I shouldn't have done it. But December has that magical power to make us that much more crazy. I drove home to Otterden, the southern Ontario industrial town where I grew up, for a Saturday lunch visit blasting trance music along the way loud enough to make the steering wheel shudder. Mom gave me a Slender Nation shake, as usual, and after I drank it, she offered me a sandwich, while Dad sat grimly across from me. His short black hair, still neatly combed, was starting to gray, and I detected a hunch beginning to form in his shoulders. The government, he said, is trying to destroy us. I know, Dad, you've told me that before. You've got to be careful. Any day now, son. Any day. Any day what? I said, not sure if he was still talking of the government or had moved on to the Antichrist. The two were synonymous for him. That's fantastic, Ken. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, fantastic, a fantastic opening to a, a fantastic novel. Um, in in just the little bit that you read for us, uh, we got uh, a taste of of 
how you do dialogue and um my my takeaway from from reading eulogy was that you are exceptionally good with dialogue and especially with the art of creating the right beats of movement and the right amount of conflict and more more importantly um to me just the right amount of internal thoughts in between and um so so bouncing off just that little bit of an excerpt that you read for us i was I was hoping you could tell us how you how you do it. Um, what's your best advice for anyone listening on how to give good dialogue, so to speak? Uh, well, well, first of all, thank you for for saying that. It's uh, I mean, dialogue is something that I I, I do work quite a bit on, and I mean, I, you know, I have a bunch of things that I try to apply to my work that I try to apply to the final work, not to when I'm drafting not when I'm trying to discover a story. But I, I mean, if I could take you through the phases of writing a story, I think that when I'm first starting to write a new story and a character appears, I'll let them talk and run on at the mouth on the page all I want, right, just to get to know them and to hear them. Uh, because I find that as I'm writing a character, if I let them talk, I get to hear what they're like and I get to know a lot about them. And, and I think that's... Uh, just part of me as a writer discovering the characters that that I'm that I'm putting together that are emerging as a story grows, and so I, I think that's part of where the voices of the characters comes from. Um, in terms of paring it down to um, what what of the dialogue I discover as I draft makes it into final stories, whether it's a short story or as happened with this novel, um, it, it's more a case of, of really you know, looking at, at, at things they can say uh, in terms of are these things that reveal something to my reader? Does my reader know more about this character by what they say here? Or does the reader know more about the story, um, the engines driving this story forward by what this character says, the tensions in play? Um, and and that's, that's what, what really matters to me. Because an interesting thing happens with dialogue. I mean, even the most... You know, like pages and pages of just commonplace dialogue can make a story stall. But, you know, a simple statement by a character in commonplace dialogue, even a character just saying yes or no to a question or to a situation in their own voice, you know, depending on the context. If, if the reader knows the context of, of what's being said and where that character is coming from and everything that's in play, you know, that can, that can have a tremendous in, uh, impact. So, it's a sense of that test is, you know, is there a dramatic value to the dialogue in terms yeah. of what it reveals? Yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, in terms of the internal thoughts, it's it's really just a question of, uh, you know, depending on how, how the point of view is set up is, you know, which of these characters, uh, you know, does do we have, does our narrator have access to? And at what points, yeah, often I find that stuff late in the final revisions, like, okay, you know, my reader needs to know you know, this is a character that my re- I've given my reader access to in terms of internal thoughts, and in this situation right here, the reader really needs to know what they're thinking. So that's usually where that stuff gets peppered in later on. So it's a multi-stage process for me. It never happens uh, all at once, um, but I find it really does add a lot to the story. Yeah, yeah, it's um, you know, it's it's exceptional throughout throughout the whole book. Um, oh. So. So very, very well, well executed. 
Um, let me let, let me ask you something else. Um, your your main character, uh, your narrator, William Oakes. Um, he's he's certainly going through um, a, 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 an interesting crossroads, but um, which I'll get to in, in a little bit. But how did you create William Oakes, and how do you go about constructing a character? general um well that's um for me it's it, a lot of it's writing writing them out i mean you know william first appeared to me the character who became william let's just say that mm-hmm. first appeared to me you know um more than 10 years ago and he was you know a boy um going to an amusement park with his dad and uh and, and you know that, that that's really it. And, and and this is just sort of like I mean, really, this is I was I you know I I can actually remember the moment that I, that he first sort of showed up. I was I was walking home on a Sunday afternoon in Toronto, and uh, there was uh, uh, I just you know I had this image of this kid and his dad going to an amusement park, and it just doesn't. But the trip to the amusement park isn't amusing or fun. It's kind of weird. Like nobody's having fun, and that kind of stuck with me. And so. I started writing that scene, which became a short story that eventually became this novel, um, to find out who this character was. You know, he was sort of like me in some ways, but in many ways he wasn't. And so that's kind of how he developed. I mean, uh, you know, you must, I would think, you know, like looking at your, the collection you've put out, you you must have had similar experiences that way at times too. Or I'm curious if you have, where you know you just sort of you write these characters and they start to appear and then, and you know you see what they do, they kind of reveal right, themselves right. that way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're if uh, if you're really in in the flow, so to speak, um, you start out with a spark of, of an idea, like what what happened to you, and then you start trying to flush out these human beings on the page yeah. and like real human beings, you never know what they're going to do. And, um, that's, you know, that's the most exciting thing I think for, for most writers is when they're there and they're in the flow and stuff, you know, coming out of their fingertips onto the page that they, that they had no idea was going to happen. And, um, I, I think that, I think that's how people get hooked as writers <laughs> because it's like that. There's nothing quite like that feeling. And, and, um, that doesn't always end up making it into the final construction of the character, but, um, it's certainly the most exciting, uh, part of writing, at least for me. So, yeah, but that's one of that's one of my favorite questions to ask people. It's like, how do you how do you construct your characters? What's your what's your process? Yeah, so. I think it's you know well. Before I, I got a few things I want to talk to you about uh, the secret games of words, but yeah, I think you know the sum total, the, the short form for me is, you know, keep writing them and keep listening to what they do. And and there is one other thing to add to that too is you know as you discover them and you get to know them a bit better, put them into awkward situations and see how they respond. Uh, yeah. Or, or as I like to say, I wouldn't want to be a character in one of my stories. They end up, they end up in bad situations. And, uh, yeah. And, you yeah. Know, you I wouldn't want to be. Who makes it? Yeah, I wouldn't want to be a character in this novel. <laughs> there's, there's, yeah. a lot of, there's a lot of tough stuff going on um, that, that, um, that's being grappled with. So, but yeah. hey, well, man, it's a lively story. 
it's a funny the relationship a reader has with a story, right? Like it's a one-on-one thing. So a book or you know, any story or any book can take a reader to places that we don't want to go in real life, or we don't even want to go necessarily in conversations with other people. Yet we want to learn about this, and we want you know we want to experience them at the safe distance. We want to know about them, and and I think uh, that's you know people ask me, you know, why are books always going to such morbid spaces? Because we need to go into those, but yeah. it's better to go to them in books than in real life. Yeah. Now I I was wondering, um, just, you know, uh, really enjoyed reading over your collection. And um, the Secret Games of Words, uh, which is just just such a beautiful, beautiful book, both for its individual stories and just the range in it. And uh, I wanted to ask something. There's a thematically, there, there's something that, that jumped out at me there that that sounded really interesting, and that is that in many of these stories there is the absence of a parent, and whether it's actually physically absent, like they're not there, or they're emotionally absent, absent. And there are several stories about grief for a dying parent or grandparent. And every time a story touches on this theme, it just takes a slightly different approach than the last. Um, and like they're all different in their own little way. And uh, I was curious, like, did you craft those subtle differences consciously, or like how did those emerge? Well, um, I, I guess. You know, um, in terms of the stories about grief and about um, dying parents or grandparents, um, you know, I instinctively I want to say, oh, because I've can because I've had a, a lot of experience with death, and but that's not true. I've had I've had a moderate amount of experience with death, um, but. The, the process of death, um, the journey to death is something that touches, touches us all so viscerally, um, and, and, and I'm no different in that respect. So I think that the experiences that I've had with it um, just, just hit me so hard that they were the source of... Uh, Several stories. Um, I've, I, I have had a, a ton of uh, nursing home experience. I'm sorry to say, um, oh. but the death the death of a parent is just such a shattering event. And you know, following the death the death of a parent, I think a, a person's natural reaction is just to feel untethered, and that that untethered feeling is there whether you're 10 or 12 or 40 or 50. Um, and it's just such a rich, ripe topic that I just, I just can't resist writing about it. And, um, and it just, it just lends itself to so many approaches. And so I think that's how and why um, it, it came to appear in, in several of my stories. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, you know, it is it is something that we you know we have in common in in our material here that we're both working with. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, but that that brings me to another question I had about eulogy. Um, very early in the book, so anyone who hasn't read eulogy yet, don't worry, I'm not 
you know, it's not a spoiler here, but very early in the book, William's parents are killed in a, in a car accident. And William is faced with giving their eulogy. And um, that's something I wanted to talk to you about is just, you know, using the, the eulogy as a, as a form or device within, within a story. Um, you use it quite effectively. Um, how did, I mean, what do you think about uh, uh, eulogy as a, as a device in, in, a, in a novel well, or short story? Um, I mean, I, I guess the thing for me is when I, I mean, I, I, I found, for me, it just seemed, in writing this book, it just seemed to be a form that held the whole story together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just felt natural. Um, uh, you know, for, for for our listeners here, I mean, the situation here, again, I'm not giving anything away, but, you know, we'll, here we have a 30-year-old man who's just starting to find his first transitions really into adult life, even though he's a working, per, you know, a guy with a job and all that stuff. And and then uh, and, the, and then his parents die, and, 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 and what happens is he's, he's cast to come to reckon with all the things that he grew up with that he's kind of been on the run from for most of his adult life. Yeah. And the the idea of the eulogy he gives for his parents suddenly becomes this thing that can organize him really trying to come to grips with what happened. And um, it's interesting things. You know, I've never uh, I've never actually uh, done a eulogy, but I'm fascinated by them. You know, and and let's face it, you know, you get to a certain point in life, and funerals are a regular event. And yeah. you know, they're, they're a fascinating form because at some point in our lives, almost everyone is called upon to do one or to contribute to one and uh and whether they're you know for those of us who work as writers uh the idea of writing writing a, a short uh, passage about someone isn't that daunting but i'm thinking you know it is a fascinating thing that just you know regular you know regular folks who just aren't necessarily uh, used to putting words down are all of a sudden called upon not only to put words down but to put words down about someone they love and then to get up in front of a group and, and, and express that in a highly emotional, volatile time. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredibly intense form. Um, and and it's, a, it's a strange thing, too, because pretty well everybody gets one and nobody wants one, right? <laughs> oh, right, right. Yeah, and and yeah. Nobody, nobody, nobody wants to give one either, and they certainly don't want to give it. I mean, it's, it's kind of a... You know, it's it, in a lot of ways, it's sort of a bizarre um, uh, tradition. I mean, it, in a lot of ways, it makes it makes sense. Um, so, that, that a child, for example, um, gives gives uh, his or her parents eulogy. But it's like, of all the people in that room, that child is the person most torn up, presumably, about this about this death and that yet they're being called upon to to perform and to put their, their own emotions on display. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know. It's, 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 it's funny yeah. though. I can think of times where I've heard eulogies done and it's been like a, a, a great experience in a sense, like I feel more at peace with the passage, you know, with the passage of this person by having been here and listened to what I just listened to. And then there's these other times where it's just awkward and strange. Uh, yeah. Certainly the case that happens in my book, that, that's a case where it gets awkward and strange and things go really bad. Um, but yeah. that then becomes, a, <laughs> that becomes a, 
that's what generates the story that that follows. So right, and yeah, yeah, and it, yeah, and it, that goes back to what you were saying a few minutes ago about how you know you want to you want to go down these dark roads and and experience these awkward, uncomfortable things, um, but you don't. You'd rather do it in a novel <laughs> rather than in your than in your own life, you know. Yeah. So you know, it's uh, funny what I often say to my students. Uh, you know, I, I teach at the University of Toronto and also here at the Halliburton School of the Arts, um, where I uh, I'll tell them, you know, like writers are often people who realize that they're very they're capable of stopping dinner parties cold with the things they think about. <laughs> one, of the, yeah. one of the strategies is to learn, oh, that's one of those things that's going to really kill this dinner party. Why don't I save that for what I want when I'm writing? <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. So yeah. um, that's that's pretty that's pretty funny. So. Yeah. Um, hey, um, I, I was wanting to talk to you a bit about, about something in your collection, too. Um, and I was sort of touching on this a little bit earlier, um, and that is the range, and uh, and particularly the range of form. Um, because here we have um, some some beautifully crafted longer short stories, and then every now and then there are several flashes of microfiction. You know, things that are about a page long, I just make these just like just stunning kind of like you know punchy in the solar plexus impression. Some of them. And then there's also poetry, and I was looking, and it, and it seems just they all they all interact so beautifully with each other. And and I was thinking about the poetry, and I was wondering just you know um, in terms of your day to day writing, like when you sit down to work, whatever time you've locked off to work in any in any day, um, is poetry something you actually pursue in and of itself? Like I'm going to write a poem today. Or is it something that just emerges and helps you to better know your prose? Like, what's your relationship with that in terms of your, your working time? Yeah, um, that's that's a, a, a really terrific question. Um, you, you know, for me, I use poetry as a lubricant, if, if you will, for lack of a better word, for, for yeah, prose. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, yeah, that's, and that's, that's what it is, and I read it often, and I do it because it just somehow makes artful sentences come easier. Um, and it's funny because you're right. Um, technically, there are a few poems, poem poems in my collection, um, but I never, ever refer to them as poems myself. Um, people who've done reviews of the collection and they, you know, and they make the observation, yes, you know, there are longer stories, there's microfiction, there are poems. Um, but I never call them that because I just don't consider myself someone who knows how to write a poem. Um, can I do microfiction? Yes. Can I do flash fiction? Slight, you know, slightly longer pieces that are kind of in between micro and uh, traditional length stories, yes. But it, but it, it's funny that you ask me about um, about poems because I just never ever say that that I that I write poems or that there are poems in the collection. And I would never even think about sitting down to my desk with the intention of, hey, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to write a poem. I just that's. That, that's not how that's 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 not my approach. But um, I'm 
I, I'm a, I'm a fan. I read it like, like crazy. And, and I just don't think that my writing life would be the same with, without large doses of it in my life. Um, Yeah. um, So, you know, your, your, um, your appetite for poetry definitely influences the prose you're putting out there. You can see it sort of in the, in the construction phrase, sentence, paragraph, and the images, how they flow. There's an elegance to the work, and you can tell there's a consciousness to, to, to that, uh, to, to how the words sculpt the image for a reader to, to you know, see these characters and their situations and to know them. So, uh, you know, whatever you're doing, it's working well. So, Well, so, thank you, know. you. That's so, I mean, that, that means, means a lot to me to hear, to hear you say that, and um, thank you. Thank you so much. So I want to shift gears for um, a second and ask you a personal question. Um, in your novel, Eulogy, um, William is, is turned upside down um, as um, memory and facts collide in, in his life um, following the death of his parents. Um, so I wanted to ask you, have, have you personally ever experienced such a collision in, in your, in your own life? Um, um, if I, um, if I can be so bold. Well, um, it's funny, you know, I, I, I'm sure it's happened to me, but never quite at the level it happens to William, you know, fiction amplifies life. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I, I can think of, um, you know, there was a situation that there, there's something uh, that happened to me in terms of like discovering a piece of family history, and this happened about ten years ago. And actually, part of part of that discovery influenced this story, um, where I remember um, just doing a little bit of you know family research, you know, family history research with one of my cousins. You know, we'd spend time hanging out together, and he was an old, he's an older older than me by several years, so, you know, we didn't know each other growing up, so it was a fun way to get to know each other better. And uh, we just started by, uh, much as uh, William Oakes does in this book, uh, you know, testing, you know, trying to discover something about a, a house that had allegedly once belonged to, to an ancestor in Toronto. And... Uh, we, you know, what we discovered was that the story we'd been told of how that house came to be or whatever um, just didn't hold up. It mm-hmm. wasn't, it, 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 you know, the, it actually like like ha- what happens in the story. Uh, it's a house that was it was appeared and built ten years after this, you know, ancestor had died, and we were actually we've never been able to to find definitive proof, but we actually did find a link which suggests that. It was the chair, the charity of an extended family member, um, who who came in and took care of that. You know, a, a branch of I guess our family that we you know we don't really know anymore, but someone came and took care of everyone, and uh, and I remember that being a moment where, as disturbing as it was to hear that these tales had been told time and again, you know, on grand grand you know grandmother's knee about who so and so was and what they did didn't hold up there's also this beautiful discovery that made so much sense and uh yeah and it actually increased my uh, just the, the, my, my understanding of a lot of people in my life and my compassion for them and in a way I, I did use that in the book 
for for that that particular passage and and that and that time frame and that that section of it. And yeah, you'll know you, you know you'll know that section. And, I, and anyone out there who's, who's read the book will know what I'm talking about. But I don't want to go too far into detail about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Save that for our readers. So so that was one experience, and you know, it was one of those weird things where, like, okay, the facts aren't adding up to everything I've been told or everything I thought was true. And in that moment, it's best to not fear the facts, but to embrace them and see what we can find. And then that did happen there. It was it was a a great experience. That yeah. Yeah, and that's a beautiful and that's a beautiful thing um, to be able to. To get past, you know, like, because initially it's it's unsettling when um, memory and facts collide. Um, it's um, it's terribly unsettling. But yeah, if you can move to to make to make peace with facts and, like you say, let let them inform you to feel more compassion and and love, then that's that that's a that's a beautiful thing. So, yeah. um, so well, Ken, I warned you. I warned you this would happen. Um, and everybody on these webcasts with me is always stunned um, that the time goes so fast. But we've been we we've done? been talking for about a no. We're not quite done. We're almost oh, done. Um, we're but we've been talking for about a half an hour, and so we've got time for just um, for just a couple more questions. Um, so if I, if I can, um, I'd like to ask you one more question and then I'll leave, uh, leave, that'll leave us time for you to ask me just one more. Um, but one thing, one thing that I, I, um, wanted to ask you, I mean, in addition to the, uh, the really, your skillful use of dialogue, you, you move back and forth in time in, in the story uh, that you're telling in eulogy and you you do it really well and you move back and forth really effectively and so I, I wanted to ask you from a craft perspective how how do you pull that off how do you how do you make that work um, well I mean, yeah that, that's a great question and work is the operative word here um, <laughs> always <laughs> yeah uh, I, I really, what happened was I wrote the two different narratives. I wrote, because, you know, for, for our listeners there, there's essentially two stories going on here. One is around 1981, 1982, when William's 11 years old. And one is uh, in the first half of two, uh, 2000, 2000, and, or late, late in 2000, or first half of 2001. And, you know, when William is 30. And so what I did is I just wrote those two stories independently. I wrote out what happened, you know, kind of what happened to him, you know, he's 11, 12 years old, and I wrote out what happened to him uh, around the time, you know, that he, yeah, he, he meets his first girlfriend at age 29, 30, and then his parents die. And and then knowing those stories, um, I was able to, you know, and then it's essentially cutting them up, and, you know, and figuring out how they intertwine with each other, and using the eulogy as a way to organize them all together. That that's what that's how it worked. And I mean, at one point, I did end up clearing the furniture in a room all the way to one side, and had 70 or 80 pages down on the floor, and was just you know picking things up and moving them around, like almost like mm-hmm. index cards, uh, just to figure yeah. out how they how how they would work together. And then it was then it was the question of reorganizing. And then after all the reorganizing, then it's you know reading through and combing through 
looking for where things need to be smoothed out and where things need to be amplified. So, yeah, it was work. It was... Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it sounds like it. I mean, it, it had to have been... It, it sounds like one of those situations where it, when you're in the early, early phases of it, it's just like, it's a mess, you know, right? Yeah. And um, and you have to, you know, keep moving it around and moving it around and, until finally, hopefully it fits. And in your case... Um, yeah, you know, and, and, and the key thing—the key thing I found in that time was to resist the urge to try and work it all out in my head. Like, no, get this stuff down on the page, and yeah. then get the pages in front of me, and then figure out how how they'd work. So, you know, uh, and 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 the goal really is, you know, I I need to know the story as best I can know it, and then once I know the story as best I can know it, it's how can I write this in a way that the reader can acquire the story in a seamless way. And that's really what I set out to do. And, and, and it, uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was quite a ride. It was quite a ride. Um, now, just, uh, well, this is, I, I wanted to, I've, I've got about 18 questions I'd like to ask about, uh, <laughs> about the secret games of words. So we're going to play a little roulette here. Um, and, Actually, let's you know this is this is about structure as well, you know, in a way. And I want to talk about the story um, undone, um, which I, I I loved. And basically, what's really interesting about this story is that at first it presents itself. It, well, it does not present itself as a traditional narrative. And this is this is this is very clever and deceptive. What you've done here. Um, what's happening is the narrator is responding to a psychiatric questionnaire. And at the very outset of the story, this gives the impression that we're going into a fragmented piece of writing. You know, it's going to be one of these things where we're just going to get a bit of mosaic and put it all together. But her questionnaire responses, her narrator questionnaire responses, provide a narrative of her world and working life and how she got to this rather delicate point in which she's in. Um, and that's the, 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 the state she's in is revealed to the reader right at the very beginning. Uh, and I was curious, did that structure come to you as you wrote and revised the story, or was it like an idea that you had in mind right from the beginning? Um, well, I um, uh, I was a psych major as an undergrad, and that was my very first introduction to the, um, the questionnaire that's used in, in the story Undone, which is um, called the, the Minnesota Multiphasic personality inventory and um, and then I was reintroduced to the to the inventory um, uh, uh, through a, through a therapist um, you know like in, in 2007 and reading the questions on this on this inventory I was just they fascinated me and um, and they're, you know, they're intended to, to dissect um, a patient's frame of mind. And then there, there are questions in there to see if the patient answering is bullshitting the exam or the, the, the questionnaire. And there's all kinds of little questions, uh, clever little questions like, you know, would you, I would like to work as a librarian. Um, and, you know, and whether the answer to that is yes or no, and in, in the real inventory, you don't get to write a narrative unlike um, the character in the story does. Um, but, you know, questions like that say a lot about a person, you know. Some people would like to work as a librarian. Other people would, you know, think that would be the most miserable 
job in the world. But um, so I started out by doing, just being fascinated with these questions, and I thought that they were just made for great, great prompts, great writing prompts. And structure, and the, re, the reason I asked you about how you put together your structure of moving back and forth in time is because structure is really, really difficult for me. And the fact of the matter is that I'll do anything to cheat on structure. And <laughs> this, this is true. Um, and this, using these prompts, um, these MMPI uh, questions as prompts were, were a great way for me to cheat. And so, um, the way I put this story together is I did start out by just writing like little mosaic um, uh, pieces that, that came about from, from the prompts. You know, like one of them in the story is evil, evil spirits possess me sometimes. And so I, I wrote based on that just as a prompt. And then I took another question, wrote that just as a prompt. And, and then there was the work. Again, there's that. The, the W word uh, again of going back and editing to make it really tell a story like a real narrative story that flowed rather than just being little mosaic pieces that didn't really fit together um, at, at all. So, um, but it was it, it was it was work to um, shape the narrator's responses to these um, inventory questions into a real narrative, but it, it was, it was also easier than, than, than I had kind of expected. Um, it, 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 it flowed, uh, much more organically than I ever, ever could have hoped. So, yeah, well, it really so was. Well, so, yeah. well, well, thank you. Um, and um, as as promised, um, we are just about out of time. So I just wanted to conclude, Ken, um, by thanking you for for joining me. It's 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 great to talk to you, and I want to congratulate you on a fabulous debut novel. Um, you must be really really proud. And to everyone who's listening, if you haven't gotten your copy yet, um, get your copy of Eulogy. Um, uh, you're you're going to love it. So um, thanks, well, Ken. Sure and the secret, they should make sure they pick up a copy of The Secret Games of Words as well. Uh, Karen's talking. All right. We're awesome. Um, okay. You know well, what? thank you. We're both, both if we can, we got, can we say something, you know, where we met, Tin House Writers Workshop and Dorothy Allison's Workshop and yeah. uh, all the great people yeah. there. Yes, hello. Yes, everybody. Um, yeah, Ken and I met in, it was 2009 at the Ken House Writers Workshop, and we were in Dorothy Allison's group, and it was just a fantastic group. And um, I, I know I have stayed in touch with several people from the workshop, and one of yeah. whom um, turned, has, has become like one of my best friends on this planet, made to it. So, oh, um, great. And what a writer. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Um, I love her. Um, uh, but yes, anybody who's, who's listening, who hasn't gone to King house yet, um, you, you gotta go. It's, it's just, a, it's a phenomenal, yeah. phenomenal workshop and you, you form long lasting relationships and, and you get to, um, support one another, um, years, years on down the road. So, yeah, yeah. 
Okay, well, with right. that, yeah, with that, um, I'll just, we'll just wrap it up. And Ken, thank you again. And you have a great night. And you stay warm out there in your your little writer, writer's retreat cabin. It sounds wonderful. Oh, I'll try my best. Thanks so much for having having me along. It was, okay. it was, a, it was great to okay. chat. Take care. It was. It was. Bye, Ken.